0: All right. Good morning. Welcome to now what is our 24th week of being scattered together. And we keep saying it longer than we ever imagined would be. And yet here we are and trusting that God is still faithful to us. He is still on the throne and his church is still intact. Whether or not we're meeting in a building, meeting in our homes, wherever it is you're gathering this morning, the church is still gathering to meet and to study and to learn and to grow and worship our God and Savior. So that's what we're going to continue to do this morning as we now come to a time. We're going to look at this passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means, why it matters, and what we should do about it. So if you have a Bible with you, a Bible app, whatever it is, if you could turn to the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 3 now, beginning at verse 14, to the letter to the church in Laodicea. John writes this, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea, writes the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works; you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot! So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, "I am rich." I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous, And repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us right now and just ask God's Spirit to open up our ears, allow us to hear, and then we'll dig into this together. Spirit of God, we come this morning, or whenever it is we're gathering, and we just open ourselves right now to your Word. We believe this is not just some ancient document written thousands of years ago, but a Word inspired by your Spirit, and that Spirit that lives in us today, and we pray uh, would now open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to to really see and and hear what it is you're trying to say to us. God, I ask in Jesus' name, would you break down every barrier, every hindrance, every distraction right now, and work to, to press this word deeply into us in a way that is changing and transforming, brings about Uh, a a whole revival of your church. For uh, for that is, I believe, what what you're continually calling us to, to to experience more of you and to be more powerful presence for you in our city and world. Accomplish that, I ask, God. You've said when you send out your word, it doesn't return to you avoid, void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. Accomplish that purpose, O God, in each one of us. And now as I always ask, Eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Well, how often have you ever said something like this? Nope, I'm fine, thanks. I got this. I'm, I'm, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for that offer. I, I got this. And How many of you ever said that before to someone who offered to help you in some way? No, no, I'm good. I, I got this. Uh, I can remember when I was younger saying this kind of thing. Uh, all the time, because I, I just wanted to appear so much older and more mature and, and, and grown up than I actually was. I would say this all the time to people like my parents, especially, and probably not as, as nicely and kindly as that, much more like, I've I got this, okay? Ugh. Just leave me alone. I can do it. The, the hard part, of course, being that they could plainly see in offering that I, I was not good, that, that I most certainly did not have it, uh, which is why they were offering to help in the first place. Um, but that's something I've just come to learn over time. Now, yes, of course, the goal of of every parent for their child is is over the years to train and equip them in such a way that they mature, that they become much more uh, able to manage responsibilities uh, through life on their own without us having to step in and do it for them. I mean, I'm very glad I don't have to chop up hot dogs right now into bite-sized, non chokable pieces for my 13- and 14-year-old daughters. Uh, I, I want them to be able to do stuff on their own, and yet, surely, a part of that training of a child is also to to help them be able to accurately assess times when they actually do need help, when they still do need someone to help them, and they can't actually do it on their own. That's got to be part of the training as well, and so, yeah, now, as hard as it was in the moment to receive, I'm grateful now for the help that parents and teachers uh, came in lovingly calling out the error of my self-assessment, like, Wes, you don't you don't have it, dude. You, you don't have it. And, and helping me to see just how woefully unprepared and ill-equipped I actually was. So we are concluding, actually, this summer teaching series through the first three chapters of the book of Revelation entitled Dear Church. We've been looking in particular at these seven different letters uh, written through the Apostle John to seven different churches in the Roman province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, near the end of the first century. And while I would just love to tell you, as we come to the last letter here now, that Jesus has saved the very best for last, uh, yeah, I think you can tell from the reading already that that's not the case. Uh, this is, the church at Laodicea is actually the, the, really the worst of all of them, uh, by Jesus' estimation. And it was funny, I was mentioning to my wife last Sunday as Norm was preaching, I don't know how this happened, I didn't intentionally do this, but as he was preaching that message, I suddenly realized that I had given all the kind of more encouraging, little bit nicer letters to other preachers to preach, and I'd taken all the like mean-sounding, hard ones for myself. Uh, I didn't mean to do that, but suddenly I was like, oh, that's actually what I've done, hoping that I haven't like psychologically damaged our congregation to the point that every time I get up to preach now, they're going to be like, oh, what's this going to be? Um, unfortunately, <laughs> today's going to also be a hard one. There's, there's good uh, encouraging things in here as well, but we, we're going to have to get through this last one together, so... Trust me, uh, uh, there there will be encouraging words to come. Um, But again, yeah, Laodicea, the the very worst church of all of them. And the reason I say that it's the worst is because although Jesus begins this letter in the same way that he begins almost all the letters with these words, "I, I know your works, while Jesus has at least some words of praise, some words of commendation for every other of the six churches here, Jesus doesn't have a single word of praise and affirmation for this church at all. And, and, and why? Like, what, what, what was the reason? What was the offense uh, for Jesus' strong rebuke of this church? So strong, in fact, that he claims to be nauseated by this church to the point that he's ready to vomit them out of his mouth. How, how's that for a visual image? What, what was the reason? Well, We see it actually in verse 16 of the passage. If you look there, you see it's not the presence of sexual immorality. It's not idolatry. It's not false teachers in their midst or anything kind of obvious and noticeable like that. The reason for this strong rebukes is their stagnant, putrid, lukewarmness. Their their lukewarmness. Now we're going to dig a lot more into what Jesus means by that when he talks about lukewarm. Because if you're at all like me, that doesn't. I mean, it doesn't sound good, but it doesn't sound nearly worthy of such a strong rebuke as that. But just in short, just as we dig in here, to to, to give us a picture of it, living in this wealthy, affluent, highly educated city of Laodicea, the the church here had basically developed something of a a self-assessment problem. They developed a self-assessment problem, basically coming to believe that they were now fine. They were good. We, we, We can handle this on our own. Thanks very much. We can, we can handle whatever it is, whatever our needs are, without you, Jesus. Thanks for the salvation part, but we, we've got this now. We don't need your help anymore. And, and and scariest of all, didn't even realize that this was the place that they wandered into. They're just completely in the dark on it. Didn't even realize that they'd become lukewarm, which maybe that sounds impossible to you. You're like, well, how could somebody not realize how, how distant and far they were from intimacy? Intimacy and deep relationship with Jesus, how could they not know? And yet, as one commentator said so well, he said, it is the nature of lukewarmness to be unaware that it is lukewarm. Which means, listen, if if these letters really are written to all churches throughout history, along with these historic first century churches specifically, that ought to be a powerful warning to us lest we find ourselves continuing on unaware in, in, in a lukewarm condition like this ourselves. And yeah, just to kind of balance this out, what should also be a powerful encouragement alongside that powerful warning is also to see that, look at this, despite the fact that Jesus has not a single word of commendation for this church, they're, they're so far from him, and, and, and to the point where he says he's ready to vomit them out of his mouth, despite that fact, his compassion, his love, his, his extending of grace to this church still remains, which maybe also sounds impossible to you to believe. in, yet here it is, his offer of grace and love, mercy still remains. And so in order that, I, I pray that we might receive Jesus' offer of grace preemptively, like ahead of the time, before we get to this place, and to help us rightly assess our own hearts, both individually as well as corporately as a church now, and avoid ever coming to this place of self-deceived assessment where we believe we can be self-sufficient apart from Jesus. I want to look at what the Spirit says to the church in Laodicea to help us better understand the pipeline to lukewarmness and then what it means to develop a mature dependence. A pipeline, like what is the pathway that that could lead us to such a place of lukewarmness as this? And then developing a mature dependence. So if you've closed your Bibles, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again to this passage in Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14? Follow along with me, trusting as I've asked that the Spirit will indeed give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to this church in Laodicea, as well as to the church today. Okay, so let's look first of all at the pipeline to lukewarmness. What is the pipeline to lukewarmness? Now, if you look at the way Jesus begins this letter in verse 14, I want to take just a second to pause here and make sure that we understand where it is that Jesus is coming from as he starts this letter. Because over the years, there have been some who have taken Jesus' self-description there, particularly where he calls himself the beginning of God's creation, and they've developed some really just wrong ideas about Jesus, some, some misguided teaching has developed out of that, namely the idea that Jesus is a created being. If he's the beginning of the creation, then maybe he's the first thing God created. That's uh, what what those particularly in the Mormon church, Church of Jesus Christ, uh, uh, that's what they believe. Jesus is a created being. And so I, I don't want to spend a great deal of time here, but I do want to point out, just make sure we, we clarify that the scriptures are very, very clear. Jesus is It's definitely fully man, but he is also absolutely 100% uncreated, eternally existing God. Along with the Son and and the Father, Jesus uh, has existed for all time. And this is not in any way trying to express that he is a created being. In fact, if if you look at the, the Greek word that Jesus uses there when he calls himself the beginning of God's creation, it's the same word that means ruler or origin. So when we understand that, we just package these things all together. The way that Jesus is beginning this letter to the church at, at, at Laodicea is to say He is the author and the finisher of all of God's creation. That, that Jesus is, wants to let them know, I am the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. I am the dear God and Amen uh, of all things. And he's also trying to express to them that the testimony which he is about to give against this church as the one with eyes like blazing fire that see all things is both trustworthy and 1,000% accurate. We, we, we don't need to call in any other witnesses. Hey, But understanding that now, what then is this lukewarmness? What is this lukewarmness that Jesus sees in this church that he says is so repulsive that it makes them want to vomit? Well, firstly, we need to understand that the imagery uh, of, of hot, cold, and, and lukewarm, uh, that these, these terms that Jesus used here, most commentators agree, are a reference to or are pointing towards three well-known water sources in the region of this church in Laodicea that they would have been well familiar with. So they had the hot springs in Heropolis, which fed water, this water, Nice, hot, healing water down the mountain. You had the the cool mountain water streams of Colossae, which also uh, fed water into this city. And then you had the lukewarm, mineral-filled, barely drinkable water that was piped in by viaduct over five miles to the church in Laodicea, or to the city of Laodicea, from these two neighboring cities. They had these long viaducts and, and pipes that brought the water all the way to this city because they had no water that they could actually drink secondly given what we now know about apocalyptic literature and the way it uses symbolic language to describe things as well as what we learned from the way jesus goes on to counsel this church to, to deal with their lukewarmness we see that jesus is using these terms cold hot lukewarm to describe spiritual conditions he's using those terms to describe spiritual conditions and and However you understand this passage, we know 100% accuracy. Lukewarm is bad. Jesus is saying, lukewarm, not good. Don't don't be lukewarm. Where, Where there is some disagreement, however, is how we understand or how we're to understand how Jesus is using the terms hot and cold as metaphors to describe spiritual conditions. How does he mean those Two things, because on the one hand, given what we know about the surrounding geography of Laodicea, you had those healing water springs from uh, the, the hot springs from Heropolis, the cool, refreshing mountain springs from Colossae. Th- those are both good things, right? Healing hot springs, refreshing water, those are good things. So if, if that's how Jesus is intending us to understand being hot and cold, what Jesus is doing there is he is contrasting two beneficial qualities of water, hot and cold, with this uh, ineffective, useless condition, lukewarm. And he's saying this lukewarm condition is, is not sufficient. It, it is repulsive to me. I need you to get out of this lukewarm, useless, ineffective position and this actually um goes along very well when you talk about uses of things and, and, and using them rightly it actually lines up really well with something that jesus talks about for instance in the sermon on the mount matthew 5 when he says this you are the salt of the earth but if salt loses its saltiness how can it be made salty again it's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot So in this interpretation, Jesus' reproof and rebuke here is a call to repent and then return to usefulness again. Be be a, a healing presence. Be a refreshing presence. Don't be this stagnant, useless, lukewarm presence. However, on the other hand, if Jesus' use of these terms hot and cold refers instead to the affections of our heart... That is, if he is referring, if he is contrasting passionate love for him with cold indifference, then, even more strikingly, this means Jesus' call here is ultimately to choose, definitively choose our allegiance. To stop messing around in the middle with like, yeah, I like Jesus, but I kind of like this too. He wants us to like stop hanging out in here and choose our allegiance, which would mean, listen, if this is right, if this is what Jesus is saying, even more strikingly, what Jesus is saying here is that he would actually prefer outright rejection of him to some sort of empty, feigned, fake relationship with him. That's, that's crazy. That that's, uh, sounds impossible to believe. And yet, if that's what Jesus means, that's, that's what he's saying here. This, this would actually fit pretty well, I think, with Jesus' loving call to repentance later on in verse 9, where he uses the terminology, sorry, verse 19, of zealous, being zealous for me. Repent and be zealous. That is, love me with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give everything to me. He's calling them to a wholehearted dependence, to a zealousness, to to a, a hot, fiery love for himself. And again, it sounds crazy to us, but you actually read... Something very similar to this in 2 second, second Peter chapter 2. Listen to what Peter says here. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Leon Morris summarizes this understanding of hot and cold while noting this, to profess Christianity while remaining untouched by its fire is a disaster. There is more hope, he says, for the openly antagonistic than the coolly indifferent. There is no one farther from the truth of Christ than one who makes an idle profession without real faith. And in the end, I think both of those interpretations actually fit the text well. They, they, they're, they're right, uh, and they both work. But while the first one makes more sense historically and geographically, and we can certainly see why Jesus would call us to, to usefulness in the way that we serve him, I, I personally find the second interpretation to be more compelling and more fitting with the spirit of the age which was happening here in Laodicea and which we absolutely see happening today. We totally see this happening. Where you would have those who would claim to be followers of Christ. You know, you would check the box on the census that says Christian. Show up to church on Sunday. We're going to raise our hands at the right times in worship. But but outside of that Sunday morning experience, have no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. That is like those who have basically settled for infinitely less than a relationship with Jesus is intended to offer us. Just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I like Jesus. I'm a Christian. Just kind of this wandering, half-hearted devotion. Or those who have ultimately done nothing more than just conform themselves to a pattern of religion and have no relationship with him at all. Jesus says he finds that kind of lukewarm, pretend devotion sickening. Not only because it's an insult to the price that he paid to redeem us, that we could look on the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for our salvation and be like, yeah yeah, that's good, I I like that. Or the way that such a a response is a testimony to, to, to the watching world around us of what a relationship with Jesus we're saying that we have, where basically that kind of testimony says that a relationship with Jesus makes no real difference in someone's life at all. So how do we end up there? How does someone end up in a place like this? How does an entire church end up in a place like this kind of lukewarm, spiritually precarious condition? What's what's the pathway or the pipeline that leads to such a condition? Well, I think the answer we see there is in verse 20. Look with me. A verse that's often used in evangelistic settings, which I think is appropriate, talking about Jesus' desire to enter in and 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 be a part, like be closely identified to save us. I think that's appropriate, but I think we need to recognize it was first and foremost here spoken to a church. Um, he's speaking to a church here, and look what he says, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Now, now this knocking, beckoning call of Jesus to each individual within this church would have been understood as far more than a, a dinner invitation. Uh, because culturally, in this context, to come in and, and eat with someone uh, was was culturally understood as like personal identification, as like deep, intimate fellowship with someone. It's why the Pharisees always got so lit up whenever Jesus would eat with tax collectors and sinners. Like, you're identifying with those people. You're saying, these are my people by, by eating with them. So that's how they would have understood Jesus' Uh, call here he's knocking on the door but the point as it relates to this church and their lukewarm condition was that steadily over time jesus had been so pushed to the margins of their lives so so pushed to the outside the doors of deep intimate fellowship with them that now he's in a place where he actually has to knock to be let in that's what he's giving this picture he's saying you've pushed me outside to the place where now i have to knock to be in, to be let in I'm out on the margins of your life, says Jesus. Daryl Johnson puts it this way. Here we discover the root cause of lukewarmness. It is, he says, by excluding Jesus. It is as simple and as tragic as that. Why? Why would they do this? Why why were they excluding him, pushing the, the savior of their souls out to the margins of their lives? Well... I'm sure there there could have been any number of reasons, but I think primarily, in the end, what it was is because of what I said in the beginning. The church at Laodicea had developed a self-assessment problem. Developed a self-assessment problem where, and and this is where the pipeline goes down deep underground and gets so dark and and deceptive, where we see how they ended up there. For you see, the city in Laodicea uh, near the end of this uh, the first century here, aside from its water supply problem, was just this like incredible city in the Roman Empire. Uh, uh, it was a financial, a scientific, as well as a fashion hub in the Roman Empire, best known for three things. Its many banks. It was completely financially independent from Rome. It was famous for a medical school that had developed some kind of special eye salve that helped uh, restore people's sight. And... It was famous for its clothing industry that produced these uh, really beautiful uh, black glossy robes made from the, the black sheep that were bred in this area. And it was uh, imported all around the known world at that time. And so then, here you've got this church immersed in this environment of affluence, uh, of scientific advancement and, co- and commerce. So much so that the church at Laodicea had begun to drink the Laodicean water, so to speak. They'd come over time to see themselves as less and less and less grateful for and as relying upon Jesus daily for their, their need of him and more and more just relying on themselves. I mean, look, look, just listen again to their, their prideful self-assessment of themselves. Beginning of verse uh, 17, they say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. It's as though Jesus has become nothing more than like a souvenir keychain to them. Like a part of their lives, yeah. Jesus is a part of their lives, but but a Savior and a God upon whom they no longer feel they need to look to or rely on for anything. And if you think about it, this, this is actually an incredibly present and dangerous potential reality for us today as well. Living in a city like Vancouver... Come on, we're, 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 it's known for its wealth and affluence, world-renowned hospitals and universities, uh, uh, beautiful, gorgeous summers, mild winter temperatures. I don't know if we're known so much for fashion, unless you think like, yoga pants are fashion, but still, known for all these, these things, and, and just like the church in Laodicea, living in a place where we are so rarely in want that we too can easily be lulled into a lukewarm faith in Jesus, self-satisfied, self-sufficient, and forgetful of how desperately we are of him and how daily we are desperately in need of him. Psalm 103, David writes this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all his benefits, which kind of makes it sound like David believes that's something that's possible to do. What, What benefits? He says, Who forgives all your iniquity?" who heals your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Forgiveness, healing, redemption, love, mercy, renewed strength. These are the things that we need truly most of all and that can only be found in a living, reconciled relationship with God through Jesus if we can just return to the first kind of geographical interpretation of hot and cold as like useful in those ways once again for a moment when our truest needs that God alone can supply are substituted with things that the world says that we need and that it can provide for us or that we can get for ourselves over time when when we understand that suddenly the geographical location of Laodicea becomes a living parable where they have separated themselves just enough from the source of living water that now the water that they're drinking has neither healing nor refreshing benefits at all they have neither a passionate pursuit of jesus any longer nor any kind of refreshing witness to offer to anyone It really is a a sad and sickening state of the church that Laodicea is here that, that Jesus is writing to. And yet, one of the things I love so much about this letter is that where all others would undoubtedly abandon, they would cut ties with such lukewarm indifference, the stunning beauty, the transforming hope of this passage is that yet again, it reveals God of the Bible as the one who is truly slow to anger. Abounding in steadfast love and mercy. The God who, who will not break off a, a broken reed or snuff out a smoldering wick. The, the, the God who the Apostle Paul says so intimately identifies with his people that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And what we're shown here in particular is a God who chooses to counsel rather than to condemn in the face of lukewarm indifference. So let's look lastly at developing a mature dependence. Developing a mature dependence. Now, as Jesus clearly expresses at the beginning of verse 19 there, he loves this church. He loves them. Even despite their lukewarm condition. Probably at this point, in the same way that a parent loves their child, despite the like powerfully uh, foul-smelling diaper that they have to change. Um, but also... In the same way that a parent helps a child to to grow up and to mature by learning how to properly assess a situation that that they're facing, either their ability to handle it or not. This is how Jesus is is expressing his love for this lukewarm church. And the first way he expresses his love for them is by telling them the truth. He reveals to them the true nature of their condition. Listen, Listen again to Jesus' painfully direct yet loving revelation in verse 17. You say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This this is really, as some have noted, very much almost exactly like the the loud cry of that little boy in the classic children's tale, uh, The Emperor's New Clothes, when the little boy says, but he's naked. That's what Jesus is saying to the church right now. I know you think you're so well clothed and rich and whatever, Actually, you're shamefully exposed and naked. I'm I'm revealing the truth to you. But this is exactly where, once again, I'm so glad, and you should be very, very glad that I'm not God. Because at at such a revelation, uh, that that would lead me to want to protect, to to pull away. Instead, it leads Jesus to move towards. Where it would lead me to want to condemn, it leads Jesus to counsel. And as you read through Jesus' wise compassionate counsel to this lukewarm church you'll notice if you remember those things that we just learned about this city that each one of those things he counsels them to buy from him is a direct response or is directly related to the three prized industries of laodicea money medicine and clothing Each one, he said, yeah, you you think you're so rich, you're actually incredibly poor. You think you're so well-clothed, you're actually naked. I think your your special eye salve is making you see so well, you're actually blind. He says, all these things you think you have, they're actually nothing more than counterfeits. They're they're, they're shadows, says Jesus. Only in me will you truly find what it is that you're seeking. Which, if you know, the story sounds very much like what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4. And he said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But if the, whoever drinks the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. He, just, he gives differently, and what he gives is true and eternal and lasting. And when we hear Jesus' staggering revelation to this church in Laodicea, and then take that and, and apply it to our own lives, to our own hearts, which I, I pray we're doing right now as we hear this. I pray that we would apply this to ourselves. In this moment, I wonder, I wonder how many shadows and counterfeits the Spirit is revealing to you right now, just as He did to me as I've been studying this. That's, That's what He wants to do this morning, to reveal those places of counterfeit that you're trusting in and relying in, all the cheap dollar store substitutes that we've embraced in place of true eternal pleasures that can only be found in Jesus. Believing that, that we're rich because of some number on, on our internet banking statement when actually we're poor in the riches that are truly lasting for all eternity. Believing that we're so well clothed because of the, the, because of the, the name on our tag, whatever it is. When actually the reality is we're naked and shamefully exposed. Believing that we see so well, we, we understand things, we see, we got this. When the reality is we've wandered into darkness so deeply that we can't even see our hand in front of our face. We're blind. And yet, graciously, from the dust and rubble of our true state, Jesus offered to you and I today is the same as it was to the church in Laodicea. Come buy from Him what this world could never truly offer us. That's His counsel. Come and buy from Me. to to learn over time that that, that dependence on God for what we could never achieve or or attain for ourselves, that's not immaturity, that's not weakness, that's not failure, that's simply the evidence of a mature ability to rightly and accurately assess our, our, our place of need. That's all that that is. Because as Jesus so simply and profoundly said to his disciples, John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the accurate assessment. It, it, when, when we finally are willing to humble ourselves and look at it, apart from Him, we can do nothing. It reminds me of a prayer that I've shared with, with some of you over the last number of months and years. Uh, as many years as I've been the pastor of this church, uh, I've found with each year there's been just a challenging season, a difficult time, and I remember one day just praying, God, can we just finally have a a year maybe where we just have like smooth sailing, just like we can just go along without any kind of major difficulty or trial or struggle? I mean, 2020 is of course a write-off, but in that moment as I prayed that prayer, I almost like audibly heard Jesus say, oh, oh, do you mean when is the time coming when you can live your life without being completely dependent on me? Because that time's not coming. That, that, that life doesn't exist. You'll always be in desperate need of me, and that's a good thing, because I'm a God with limitless supply. Come and buy from me, says Jesus. But how? How, how could we possibly buy these immeasurably expensive treasures when, when all that we own can only purchase us these cheap counterfeits? How, how could that be possible? Well, by simply turning to him in faith offering our, our wholehearted devotion to him once again in that same passage, John 15, by abiding in him. For buying with Jesus has never been about money and always about grace. The offer of, of free grace as we abide in him. For as God graciously spoke to his rebellious, lukewarm people all the way back in Isaiah 55, come, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your labor for what does not satisfy? Listen diligently to, to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear that you may, your soul may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you my steadfast sure love for David seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to the God and and to our God for he will abundantly pardon there are three kinds of people in this world says pastor and author Dr. Tim Keller There are people, he says, who are sold out for Christ. There are people who utterly reject and are hostile to Christ. And then there are people who are just sort of religious. And they believe in Jesus and they come to church, but there's nothing remarkable about their lives at all. He goes on, the hot and the cold, they have both come to grips with the claims of Christ. They've said either, yes, I wholeheartedly embrace this or I reject that. The only person, he says, who has not come to grips with the gospel, is the person in the middle. Which if you think about that, it, it is so absolutely true. If I can understand who Jesus really is, that he is the God of the universe, come to earth in human flesh, that he would die a, a horrific, torturous death on my behalf, and I could say, ah, that's, that's nice, I like that. No, you haven't really understood who Jesus is. You haven't really understood the gospel, if that's your response to it yet. You're still in the middle. So what about you? When when you think about where you're at right now today in your life and in your faith right now, which kind of person would you say you are? I'm not saying that any of us does this perfectly. I know I don't. But do you have a living, growing relationship with Jesus where you invest daily in that relationship and it actually impacts the decisions you make and the way you live your life? Uh, That's one person. Uh, Do do you look at the Christian faith with kind of mild interest, but ultimately you reject the miraculous, you reject all the fundamental claims of Christianity, deity of Jesus, his death and resurrection, judgment for sin? Or is Christianity more like a Sunday morning club with no membership fees that you're a part of? Where, Where you really like Jesus... But in the end, you know, he has no access to or lordship over almost any area of your life. If you're looking at your life right now and and the spirit is revealing that you're actually that lukewarm person in the middle, remember, Jesus' word to the lukewarm is not one of condemnation, but of counsel. Remember that Jesus only rebukes those that he loves. So this isn't about not being a Christian. He rebukes those he loves. His his counsel to you to come and buy, which means, listen. If you are feeling the the weight of Jesus' call on you right now, as we as we think about this and as he exposes the counterfeits and shadows in your own life, it means he he actually loves you. And all he's doing here is calling you to the fullness and richness of experience that you still have just yet to experience in a relationship with him. Some of you hearing this. I know, have have never opened your door to the life, the, the door of your life to Jesus before. You've never done that. And my prayer for you is that if you're hearing this right now, that you would truly hear his knocking today and open the door of your heart and experience life as you never imagined was possible. That's my prayer for you. But for any others who are hearing this right now, and what the Spirit is revealing to you is in some way that you have over time unawares wandered into a lukewarm faith that that's where the spirit is revealing to you where you're at this morning or maybe i don't know maybe you have invited jesus into the living room of your heart only to find that he's knocking at all kinds of other doors that you have yet to let him into jesus knocking at the door of your marriage knocking at the door of your family relationships knocking at the door of your sexuality your finances knocking at the doors of your past hurts or future hopes. Saying let, let me into those places. There's so much more of me that I want you to experience. Don't be satisfied with what you have. There's so much more I have to give you. Maybe what you're starting to see is that maybe the reason that your faith, that, that, that Christianity just feels so dull and dry and lifeless to you is not at all because Jesus doesn't have infinitely more to offer you than what you're currently experiencing but because you've come to see that this whole time your response from behind those doors that you've been unwilling to give him access to is being no I'm good thanks no I'm, thanks th- I'm, I'm fine I'm fine in here I can do this on my own when the reality is you're not good you're not fine and neither am I and we know it. My prayer for each one of us is that God would give us ears to hear what His Spirit is saying to us this morning. Ears to hear his knocking, and in faith to to get up off the, I don't know, proverbial couch of lukewarm faith and and, and open the doors and invite him in. T- to turn in repentance, invite Jesus into every part of our lives with a zealous wholehearted devotion to Him so that we might truly possess at last in increasing measure what this world merely offers but that can only be found in Him. Amen. I want us to take a time as a church right now wherever it is that you're watching this, wherever it is you're hearing this, whatever it is, to take some time right now, before you just get up and go on with your day, whatever else you have on, to stop and do some of the hard work of inviting the Spirit to reveal to you where are those places where we have become lukewarm, and to, and to have a, a time of true repentance and turning Opening up those places that we've kept locked off to Him, whatever it is. Where is the Spirit speaking to you right now this morning? Again, Jesus' word to us here is not one of condemnation. Anything that He reveals to you is His act of love towards you. So I know it can be scary. I know it can be hard to let go of those things because we've come to trust them and rely on them. But Jesus says those things can't actually sustain. Only the treasure that I give you will truly make you rich. Only the clothing that I give you truly covers your nakedness. Only the sight that I give you is truly seeing. Come and buy from him. May we come and buy from Jesus this morning what he graciously offers. Let's take that time right now. I want to give that moment to you to pray, and then I just want to close us in prayer. So let's take that time. Father in heaven, we thank you for your gracious response to lukewarm faith. We know you are a God who, who moves toward sickness who moves towards even those things that you find awful and and repulsive because you are a God who reconciles and renews broken things you are a God who restores smoldering wicks and who will not break off a broken reed I praise you that you're such a gracious God I ask now that in all those places In every place that you've revealed to us this morning, God, that you would give us the strength and and the trust to turn to you in repentance and to trade in all those counterfeits, all those shadows for true riches, for true clothes, for true sight. You graciously offer them. May we receive them. God, may this act today of repentance, individually, corporately as a church, may this stir in this gathering of your church, and in your church across this city, a, a true revival. As people become more and more wholeheartedly sold out to you and live their lives and their faith in such a way that is truly unmistakable to the world around us. We long to be those witnesses, God. As we have more of you, as we submit ourselves more to you, I know you're calling us into a, a blindingly bright, shining expression of your church. shows a a truly beautiful alternative to what the world says is so good, to what the world says is so beautiful and what we need. May we be examples, living examples of what that looks like in our lives, God, as we let you in more and more and look more and more, conformed more and more to the image of your Son. Bring it about, we ask, for your glory and for our greater good. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.